Okay, episode one, take one. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Soul Care Podcast. We are so glad you're here with us today. I'm Kimberly Willis. And I am Jinder Reinick. We are joined by our soul care expert, Warren Lamb. Hi, glad to be here. We are here to talk about soul care, what it means, what it looks like, and the hope it can offer. Our desire with this podcast is to offer hope for battling some of the greatest struggles we face as humans and to do so with love, kindness, grace, and prayer. Mm. Most of our conversation with Warren today will be based on more of a question and answer forum. Okay. Are you ready, Warren? I believe so. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a game sheet. <laughs> well, he is our expert and has no notes. So let's see. <laughs> let's see how this goes. I, I think the question we want to start with is just um, to explain exactly what we mean when we say soul care and how does one know if their soul needs care? That's a really great question. So let's talk about the soul. The world and the world of psychology and psychiatry does not believe human beings have a soul, that there's no real immaterial aspect to us. They believe we are only material. They can't explain really what the mind, what curiosity, what creativity are. They say they're results of chemical processes and things in the brain. The problem with that is there's no scientific test that you can do to test that. It's a theory. Um, even the word psychology comes from two Greek words, suke, logia, which means study of the soul. How can you study the soul if you don't believe the that a person has a soul. When we take a look at what soul care is, soul care is the me, right? Well, you can look and you see a variety of people that look similar, but each one is a unique individual. That individual personhood is the soul. The mind, the emotions, the will, all of those things, the desires of the heart, all of those things constitute the soul. Matter of fact, there's a neurological study done a couple of years ago where they were timing how long the, the, it took for, for the message to go along the neural pathways in the brain. The, the experiment was when you see the letter A, you're going to push this button. When you see the letter B, you're not going to do anything, right? Now, when you see the letter B, you're going to press it, right? So they were timing how long, you know, the, the message, they, they made the decision, I'm going to press the button, how long it took for that message to get there. Then they went to colors. And then you decided to change up the experiment. I said, okay, this time, every time you see the letter B, you're going to push the button, but randomly, at some point along the way, make the decision to not push the button when you see the letter B. They were dumbfounded that there was no neurological message when the decision was made to not push the button. So that means something other than the brain itself is making the decision because the brain is not processing that information that's happening other. Because and they were absolutely fascinated by that because their science idea did not support that happening. Because they were asking them to make an emotional decision. They were asking them to choose at their will when to not. The push human the will button. is the key thing that differentiates us from the rest of the rest of creation. We see back in Genesis where God says, Let us make man in our image. He's talking about himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he says, So in the image of God he created him, 
male and female, he created them. Right. And so we take a look that male and female are united are the fullest expression of what we call the Imago Dei, the image of God. And only human beings bear the image of God. That is what the soul is. And it's on a soul level that we connect with God and each other. We, nothing else connects with us on that level. Even pets that we get connected to and fond of and things like that, they have it. They, there's a, you might say, a, um, well, some say that's, that's a soul and that human beings have spirit, which right. can you make that distinction, I think. But human beings are uniquely different. Think about it. We, are, we, we can be spontaneously creative. Think about the technology that we're using today. No animal is going to come up with us. They can't. Right. And we're not just evolved higher. So when we're talking about the soul. We're talking about who you are as an individual. So how do you know that you need soul care? If Now, when things go wrong in our life, we're supposed to feel sad. When things go well, we're supposed to feel excited and happy, right? But what happens when things happen that are good that you can't feel happy about, that all you feel is sad? Well, there's something going on in your soul that needs to be addressed. Or you're giddy all the time and nothing seems to bother you. There's a problem, right? You, right. Need, to get, you need to talk to somebody. Or maybe, let's say all of a sudden you're, you're, you feel fearful all the time, anxious, right? Okay, what's, what's that about? What's interesting for us is soul care is, and we, we, we do it from a biblical perspective, right? We, because God created the human soul, so who knows better? how to address what's going on with human soul, but not just in problems, but how do you nourish and nurture and how do you develop and grow into who God created you to be? God's the only one that can determine that. That's how, and that's what we do. And, that, and that, that's what, that's what we do all the time. We call, call it biblical counseling is focused discipleship in a problem area of a person's life or a season. And can you talk a little bit about how healing, <clears throat> how that's different than, let's say, behavioral psychology? Like if I come to you and I've been seeing a therapist for many years, right, and it has helped me, but there's still, I still have a deep wounding inside. Mm -hmm. And in your experience, what do you see the difference when you've, when someone comes and they're working through with you through biblical counseling? Behavioral psychology has you look within yourself for the answers. Right. You're the problem. So you're not going to find the answers there. You've got to look someplace else. Well, if you look at another fallen human being, they can give you examples of how you might want to be different, but they're not going to change the essence of who you are. Only God can do that because he's the only one. He's the one that created that part. Of right. So when we're, we're saying, okay, what, is, what does God say? What is, because people don't want to believe that there's objective truth. Well, they say that. Well, there's no objective moral truth because they know there's objective truth. They know that if I take an egg, a raw egg and I throw it in the air, they know it's going to hit the floor and make a mess because that's just objective truth. Right? <laughs> yeah. We also know that one plus one equals two. Yes. That's just objective truth. Right. Right. If you see somebody throw something at the, at the wall. You objectively know, you observe that. That's an objective truth. That's a reality. People don't want that to be that to be so about moral things, right, wrong, good, bad. But yet we all intuitively have a sense of right, wrong, and good, and bad. Where does that come from? Right, exactly. 
that yeah. comes from God. Behavioral psychology is just about what you do with what you believe. Soul care, biblical counseling addresses what you believe because everybody lives their life based on what they believe to be most true. So I can change your behavior, but if I don't change your underlying belief, you're just, you're, the problem is just going to show up either in the same way or in a different way. Right. It's always going to show up. One of the things I say often is you cannot bury a live snake. It's always going to work its way to the surface. The brokenness inside of us is always going to manifest somehow. People go to 12-step groups, right? Okay, yeah, you stop drinking, but you drink sugar-laced coffee like it was water. Right? <laughs> you smoke cigarettes or a pack two, of at, cigarettes. two yes. at a time, right? Yeah. You can go through a pack of cigarettes in two hours. Well, right. It's the same behavior but it's manifesting differently same brokenness manifesting different there's no transformational change that's the difference the heart change well heart mind and soul change right right there's a so we know about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly mm -hmm. right. now the essence of the caterpillar is in the butterfly but there's nothing about the butterfly that was reminiscent of a caterpillar well scripture tells us that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, caterpillar and the butterfly. So the broken, messed up, I can't get along with anybody, I hate myself, or I go from one bad relationship to another, or I'm always anxious, or whatever it happens to be, you have to change what you believe. And that's going to, by renewing your mind, changing what you think about and how you think about it. That's where the transformation comes. But the, the thing is, you have to focus on what is true. And the only thing that is objectively true that never changes is God's word. People right. will argue against that. But it's interesting because I'll hear, we call them Christian psychologists. So they're Christians who are practicing psychology. They're more psychologists than Christian. But a lot of times you hear them say, well, even the Bible says. Why are you using the Bible to support your idea? Right. If your idea is valid, what if the Bible talks about this, why do we need a secondary resource that's created by men who don't believe there is a God, who believe we're evolved and not created, who don't believe in miracles or the prayer affords anything other than makes you feel better, who doesn't believe there's anything beyond the material universe or anything beyond the natural, there is no supernatural, or that there is no meaning or purpose to life, and when you die, you die, that's all there is, and that... Um, we as human beings are basically good and can find all the answers within ourselves. Well, that's diametrically opposed to what scripture teaches us on each one of those levels. And combined, there's no way you can marry those two, really. Right. I think on that point of behavioral um, psychology and then also what you believe, because you're talking a lot about, you know, you live what you believe. However, we could have Christians that are listening and could say, I believe in the Bible. So where's the difference between believing and yet the face, the, the personal struggles that you face that you're not seeing manifested in your life? Well, because we misuse the word believe. A lot of times people have an intellectual acknowledgement that something is true, but they won't really believe it and trust in it as true. One of the word pictures I use is if you believe that there's black ice outside on the ground. When you leave the building, you're going to live as if there's black ice on the ground. It doesn't matter whether there is or isn't. It matters what you believe about that. Right. And someone can tell you, no, there's no black ice. And you go, okay, yeah, I, can, I look out there and yeah, 
there's no black ice, but your heart still believes that there is, you are still going to behave as if there's black ice on the ground. And in reverse, it's true. Uh, That's a great word picture, just as you were mentioning earlier about being wrapped in anxiety, right? Because you can be wrapped in these thoughts of living fearful of black eyes forever, although it's a sunny day and there's absolutely no black eyes, right? And right. those those thoughts and those fears can take us captive and change yeah. our actions yeah. without us That's a good word, captive. Right. I we was... get trapped in those places and we don't know how to get out. Mm -hmm. So we need a guide and we need a map. God's word provides that. And it's not as simple as take these two Bible verses and call me in a week. It's not like that. Right, exactly. I was just going to say like, um, People maybe who have been hurt by the church or hurt by Bible when we're saying this, it could be, oh, well, this isn't going to help me. Like, I don't really understand what he's saying right now. Exactly. If you could just elaborate more on that. Like, it's not two Bible verses. Right. Okay. So yeah. let's start off with the number one thing that we see most often is people feeling worthless. Right. Right. Starts with the belief of yourself. If you don't think you're right. have any worth, the problem with that idea is it's the biggest lie of all times. Because remember, I quoted Genesis chapter one, where God says, "Let us create man in our image." Right? The image of God makes every human being uniquely priceless to God. We see when uh, Noah and his family come off the ark. God says, from this point forward, you're going to be eating meat, so don't eat it when it's alive. Don't eat it with the blood in it. And he says, and if anyone spills the blood of a human being, his blood is going to be required of it because he spilled the blood of one created in the image of God. God is making very clear there that every human life is sacred and priceless to him. Uh, we see in Psalm 8 where David says, when I look at the magnificence of your creation, the majesty of the work of your hands. What must man be that you make him a little lower than the heavenly beings and then put all of this in, in his care? I love it in, in uh, Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Look at the birds. You buy 10 for a nickel. Your heavenly Father feeds them every single day. Don't you realize you're worth far more than these? Hmm. A little while later, I think the most magnificent statement that, that I still get goosebumps when I think about it, Jesus says, what will, what good does it do for a person to gain the entire cosmos, the entire created universe? A lot of English translations say world. That's not a good rendering. What good does it do for a person to gain the entire created universe and to give up his soul? What will a man give for his soul? And when I look at that, what Jesus is saying is one human soul is worth more than the entire created universe to him. And later in Luke, he says, don't you realize that God's angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance? One? And if we take a look at what the gospel even means, it makes no sense unless we're priced to God. If we weren't worth it to him, he wouldn't go to those lengths to that extent to restore us to the relationship he created us to enjoy. So does, for someone to feel that they're worthless, that's built uh, lie after lie after mm -hmm. lie after lie after mm -hmm. lie. Now, we're deserving of no good thing, but because we are created in God's image, it doesn't matter what we've done, what's been done to us, what we've said, what we've experienced, none of that. That does not change. That image of God, that pricelessness to God is as much a part of us as our DNA. To be human is to be priceless to God. Well, and that goes full circle to what you were saying earlier about objective truths and objective morality, where our world is in 
um, when we think about the world and the world of psychology in particular, psychiatry and how they would attempt to handle these issues. And Kimberly asked about behavioral modification that you said that the approach for that is to look inward but we don't have the answers because you're the problem. Right. And we just, I just want, maybe you could expand upon that you're the problem part, because if you're a victim of abuse, we don't want the, the, the thought to be that you're the, the is, problem. Is that you've taken on beliefs from that. Right. Okay. So you're relieving things about yourself based on what somebody else has done to you. They're absolutely not true that some way, somehow it's your fault. You could have been, should have been something or someone somehow different to a, kept that from happening or I should have said something earlier or should have said something all kinds of this stuff so some way somehow you're responsible for the evil that you've suffered and so you carry this guilt and shame for something you're not guilty of right you continue to look inside someone says well, what they did was bad it was evil okay yeah but what you believe about yourself isn't being addressed they can change how you behave Say, okay, so let's stop being promiscuous because that's not healthy. You know, STDs and all that other kind of stuff. But the, the person doesn't really believe that they're worthy of being in healthy, God-honoring, vibrant relationship because they're, they're evil, they're bad, they're tainted, they're, they're damaged goods, all of that other kind of stuff. Thank you. I think that's important clarification, yes. just that we're not saying that if you have been victim of um, something, you know, abusive situation, that you, it's your problem that happened. What we're saying is the responsibility you feel and the weight of that, that you feel that potentially you led to that happen and how it's impacting your life today is the problem we want to help you with. And one of the with. things with behavior modification and cognitive behavioral therapy is what they're going to do is they're going to tell you, be angry at that person. The problem is if you have ongoing anger, they're living rent-free in your head. So that's not helpful. Right. I think it comes back down to what you're saying is like the belief system. So yes. something has happened to you. Now you've believed a certain thing about yourself. And soul care is here to, to teach you that actually God has a different remedy. This is what God thinks of you and, to help, and align with that same belief system to help you um, heal your soul and get more aligned of like what you are worthy because you were made in God's right. image. Well, and that's the thing is I've worked with several thousand. Built upon certain objective moral, moral principles that have biblical foundations. Like we all know most of the people listening would believe that killing someone is morally wrong. Torturing babies for fun is a bad thing. Yes. That's usually <laughs> things most of us agree on, I mean, except for the very... Where, where does that come from? Exactly. Right. So Because of evolution... Well, that's not true in the, the animal kingdom, if you will. So, right. Think about this. For a male great white shark to force copulation on a female great white shark is no big deal, right? Mm -hmm. But for a human male to force copulation on a human female, that's heinous. Yes. Why? Yes. Because we have a sense, that in inherent intuitive sense of what God declares as right and wrong, good and bad. Everybody except for sociopaths has a conscience, right? Right. Whether you're whether you're a, a believer or not, everybody has a conscience. That's God's fingerprint on the human soul. And so, when you go against your conscience, you got this guilt that you're carrying. What do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Right. What do you do with it? Right. Well, you can't do anything with it other than if you got somebody that's willing to take that for you. So you know what? I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to get rid of this for you. I'm going to. You know, like when we say, oh, I'm going to throw this away. You know, there's no such place. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to guilt and shame that you feel over the, the things you've done wrong, there isn't a way. Right. And that's what the gospel is about. That's what Christ is about. And that's what we help people connect with. And that's why soul care is needed. That's why soul care is absolutely yeah. I, I was hoping that you could expound upon one of the points you mentioned earlier, because I know I know what you meant. However, people listening may not quite understand. Okay. You said um, when we think about the world and the world of psychology in particular, psychiatry and how they would attempt to handle these issues. And Kimberly asked about behavioral modification that you said that the approach for that is to look inward but we don't have the answers because you're the problem. Right. And we just, I just want, maybe you could expand upon that you're the problem part, because if you're a victim of abuse, we don't want the, the, the thought to be that you're the, the problem. That you've taken on beliefs from that. Right, okay. So you're believing things about yourself based on what somebody else has done to you, they're absolutely not true. That some way, somehow it's your fault. You could have been, should have been something or someone somehow different to it kept that from happening, or I should have said something earlier, or should have said something, all kinds of this stuff. So some way, somehow, you're responsible for the evil that you've suffered. And so you carry this guilt and shame for something you're not guilty of, right? You continue to look inside. Someone says, well, what they did was bad. It was evil. Okay, yeah, but what you believe about yourself isn't being addressed. They can change how you behave Say, okay, so let's stop being promiscuous because that's not healthy. You know, STDs and all that other kind of stuff. But the, the person doesn't really believe that they're worthy of being in healthy, God-honoring, vibrant relationship because they're, they're evil, they're bad, they're tainted, they're, they're damaged goods, all of that other kind of stuff. Thank you. I think that's important clarification, yes. just that we're not saying that if you have been victim of um, something, you know, abusive situation, that you, it's your problem that happened. What we're saying is the responsibility you feel and the weight of that, that you feel that potentially you led to that happen and how it's impacting your life today is the problem we want to help you with. And one of the with. things with behavior modification and cognitive behavioral therapy is what they're going to do is they're going to tell you, be angry at that person. The problem is if you have ongoing anger, they're living rent-free in your head. So that's not helpful. Right. I think it comes back down to what you're saying is like the belief system. So yes. something has happened to you. Now you've believed a certain thing about yourself. And soul care is here to, to teach you that actually God has a different remedy. This is what God thinks of you and, to help, and align with that same belief system to help you um, heal your soul and get more aligned of like what relational trauma survivors. And we, I use that phrase because it's, you know, abandonment, neglect, abuse, all forms of abuse as a child. It can be domestic oppression, domestic violence. It can be sex trafficking. It can be bullying. It can be um, any dynamic that wounds the human soul through in relationship, right? I work with several thousand survivors who are now thrivers because they're no longer carrying the burdens of those things. And it doesn't spin around in their head that, that um, uh, the, the guck that their mind, heart, and soul collected and held onto has been replaced with the pure truth of God's word and understanding that they are priceless to God and what happened to them is not their fault. That God does not hold them accountable for that. Even the bad decisions they made as a result of that, he, there's full forgiveness available for that. So there's no need to carry the burden any longer. Yeah, I love, I think you've used um, a word picture before 
where it's kind of like we're we're carrying around all this like sludge mm -hmm. and in the process of yeah. um, working through soul care and discipleship and how like it's kind of like a washing of the word the water it's slowly clean and all this stuff it isn't we're not saying that it's going to be easy no. all this guck's going to come up you're going to cry you're going to be sad it's going to make a gooey mess <laughs> <laughs> exactly the word picture is to take one of those orange buckets from um home depot. home depot fill it with the thickest gooeyest stinkiest black sludge you can imagine that's the the results of the the sins you've committed that you haven't resolved the evils you've suffered and the lies you've believed and then if i put a garden hose in there and turn it on part way the water's going to go in and that's going to start to bubble up bubble up it's going to bubble over and make a horrible mess but eventually all of that guck is replaced with that pure clean water right right so as we we call it washing with the water the word we wash with the truth continue to wash that all the lies get replaced with the truth. The damage has been done. Now there's healing that can take place, right? If you don't deal with an underlying wound, you can't heal. The number one way we do that is by God's truth, because God's truth is not condemning, okay? God doesn't condemn those who are his. He does not. Matter of fact, Scripture even says there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ. For somebody who's surrendered their heart and life to Christ, they hear that voice of condemnation. That's not God's voice. But people walk around with that sense of condemnation. Well, I did the best I could. How good is good enough? But if we understand that someone was good enough for us, and he says, I'm going to trade you. Give me all your garbage. Give me all your guck. Give me all your manure. I'm going to trade you. A clean soul, clean wardrobe. I mean, just everything is transformed, right? You talk about a makeover, right? And my life is one of those stories. Right. You know, I kind of half joked that I was raised by hyenas and potty trained at <laughs> Right. Really? I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. And the fact that I do what I do is evidence that this is real. This is powerful. This is what, and that's why I do what I do. Well, and we don't talk a lot or enough at, in the world necessarily, or even the Christian church about the washing the mind or taking every thought captive and how, you know, you mentioned it earlier about not letting those whose words occupy space in our mind allow to live rent free and that comes in so many different forms we're talking obviously about a lot of extreme stuff but even on like a relational day-to-day -day with our spouse when they say something and it it bugs us and we carry it and we let it we fester and then later it becomes this argument later because we have let them all day stew in our mind and we've resonated and ruminated on it and that is that is exactly what we're talking about. That's letting that take captive our thoughts. And if we don't address it, it it rolls over to the next day and then they say something else and it's compounding. And that's how simple uh, a little thing can yeah, spark into absolutely. a divorce or can spark into an affair or something even yeah. more severe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, think about it. So um, you got a young lady who's, let's say she's 12 years old and her dad tells her, it's a good thing you're smart because you're not pretty and you'll have a hard time making it in life. He's just ripped her heart out of her at a key developmental time in her life, right? So I meet her 
15 years later, and she's a mess. Why? Because that one comment by dad completely changed the trajectory of her life based on what she came to believe mm -hmm. about herself, so. which affected what she believed about every person she was in contact with or every relationship she was a part of. And how those people saw and perceived her. She had this whole expectation that they already saw her exactly how her dad did and she couldn't shake that exactly. we haven't even talked about all the warnisms <laughs> because you know i you kind of hinted along to to the lines of this one but what you've already you say all the time what you believe is what you live what you saturate your mind with is what you believe what you believe is what you live you talked about ruminating that's absolutely what it is mm -hmm. our minds are constantly saturating on something over and over and over again even when we're asleep the thing about soul care biblical soul care is we're 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 going to start intentionally saturating with the truth that what that's what the washing of the water of the word is and recognizing when when we're actually lying to ourselves yes and that we've we've been captive held captive by this this belief of a bunch of lies that are actually not true mm -hmm. about ourselves well, think about when somebody Jesus. somebody does something wrong and they don't idiot yeah <laughs> idiots who told you you were an idiot you're yes. not an idiot you made a mistake but that doesn't make you an idiot right right but their underlying belief is making a mistake equals being an idiot mm -hmm. and right the being the being sense of being that's the critical part of all of this mm -hmm. right if i right. believe this is who i be right the i am statements then that's how i'm going to live mm -hmm. right that's what we change through soul care Biblical soul care. I don't think there's a better word picture for me. You use a lot of word pictures and I have a lot of favorites. But for some reason, the Home Depot bucket is such a great one because I just picture just muck and mire just filled in this bucket. And to think of how clean it can get back when it's washed is just a very, I mean, we're still talking about an orange Home Depot bucket, but at least it's clean and, you know, can be used again. And that's exactly what we're trying to visualize happening within And that bucket is be stained. Right. Yeah. We have to remember, too, that we're not just washing with a word. The world, relationships, people, the enemy of our souls is pouring sludge. At it. They're out back pouring sludge. So we got to stay ahead of it. Exactly. we got to gain that ground, but then we have to stay ahead of it. And we just continue to do that. Like I said, we're always saturating with something. We can be, we get to be in charge of that. We get to choose that. We get that. to be in charge yeah. of that. Think about it. People feel powerless. You're not powerless. Nobody gets to be in charge of your mind mm -hmm. and heart. Mm -hmm. And there's a particular type of person that that's their, that's the thing they, they love is to control other people's minds and hearts, but you don't have to allow that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the things that's to me is absolutely amazing about what I get to do on a daily basis. I talk to dozens of people every week and I get to train people to do this. So great what you talked about earlier. I think you knew very the very first question that we asked was about why what is soul care? And you talked about the emotions that when we're when something sad happens, we're supposed to be sad. <laughs> when something happy happens, we're supposed to be happy. We're not supposed to be in delirious, you know, joy all the time because maybe we're disconnected from our, our emotions. However, you know, what we see a lot of the world doing right now is trying to control their emotions with psychotropic drugs or pharmaceutical drugs because they have spent so long feeling these emotions and can't 
cope with it. Yeah. That, and I think it might go back to behavior modification as an example. We have not the world, unfortunately, and how they work with mental, what we're going to call mental health. Okay. We're calling soul care, but is we don't have the solution because we're looking inside. I don't have the solution even after all the education I've done and the degrees that I have, but because it's just overwhelming your day to day, I'm going to give you this prescription and you'll be able to get through life. However, what happens then you're taking these medications, you're dead almost now in your emotions. You can't, you can't have the response that maybe is healthy and normal to have. And yet we see people, I have a, a friend who is a, neuropsychiatrist and says, all I do is medicate people because there's no solution for some of the level of depression. Or but there really I'm, is. And I want to add to that. Um, I've also heard a psychiatrist say, you know, I see you've suffered a lot of trauma in your life. You, you probably just, you have very low dopamine, serotonin levels. I'm going to give you some medication so you can experience so you understand what it feels like to feel happy because maybe you've never felt happy. And so once you have that experience, then we can get you off. So here now it's making you dependent on, on medication. Right. And to the point earlier, sorry, we're going to challenge you with like a three yeah. question okay. because the point earlier that you made was there's no scientific test that are being done. If I go see a psychiatrist and I say, I am depressed, they don't go into the back room and take my blood and say, well, let's say exactly where your dopamine levels are, where, you know, all of, there's nothing. Oh, it's I see not your serotonin. Yes. Depleted. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but even you know if they 95 did. 95% of serotonin is produced in your gut. The brain doesn't actually produce it. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what? Yes, <laughs> this is the science. This is the science. Right. This idea of brain chemistry is a made-up construct. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. There's no such thing as brain chemistry. Yeah, there are chemicals in the brain, but there's not a, there's not a, a, a there's no such thing as brain chemistry. You can't go to a medical lab and have your brain chemistry mm -hmm. tested like you can your blood sugar or your, you know, your other, your, 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 uh, T2, T3 or T4. You can have all these medical lab tests that can be done right but the thing is is that like oh bipolar so you've got a list of eight symptoms and if you say you if you say oh i'm experiencing this this and this they interview you and then they give you one of the most aggressive chemicals they possibly can and it's it's an anti-seizure medication you give anti-seizure medication to a brain that's not seizing you break it right and the thing is is that they haven't tested they have, matter of fact, you can't even test the brain yet. Well, you, they're starting to be able to, but you never used to be able to test the brain for micro seizures. The only way to dis discern whether a brain had had micro seizures is during an autopsy. Mm -hmm. I've yet to have anybody sit in my office diagnosed with bipolar who authorized an autopsy. <laughs> so you describe, you're doing an interview and you're making a medical diagnosis based on an interview with no medical data at all. I'm sorry, but that's, that's, you know, witchcraft or, or, or you may as well call the witch doctor from out, out in Africa someplace. It's, <laughs> it's about a scientific, right? Is it, would you say like these disorders that are, you know, bipolar or ADHD, all of these things are something that there's soul wounding happening or, Absolutely. and that the, what it is, is actually it's, what we're talking about needing soul care and healing. It's not, it's not these medications that are if actually If you look good. at the ADD list of symptoms and you look at the list of childhood trauma, 
Okay, wow. so you have millions of children wow. who are being medicated for trauma that's never been resolved. Wow. Right? Right. And it's not that the child can't pay attention. It's because chaos and disruption in their life, they, they figured out, I have to pay attention to everything because I never know when things are going to go wrong. So it's not that they can't pay attention. They're trying to pay attention to everything mm -hmm. simultaneously, and then they get overwhelmed. Never let your guard down. They have to be Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. France has less than a 0.5% ADD rate among children because the instant they see those symptoms in school, they send a social worker to home to find out what is going on in the environment. Wow. And they address the environmental factors. And time after time after time after time, it's, it's relational environmental factors that are causing this, this problem. Wow, Child doesn't bad. know how to communicate it. They don't have the language. They right. aren't, even, aren't even able to connect with what's going on with them. Right. Right. And you have to understand these psychotropics, there's a lot of guesswork, like SSRIs. Well, yeah, these are, you know, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. We're not really sure how they work. We just know that they do this, but they have no idea what everything, what else they do. Matter of fact, they actually do. But when you take a look at side effects, that means these are beside what we're prescribing this for. These are real effects that this drug has. This is what the drug does, but we're calling them side effects because they're besides what we want. So when, when, when you've got a third of the people, third of people on, on um, antidepressants become suicidal, mm -hmm. a third of the people feel a little better for a while, but a third of the people they have no benefit whatsoever. Where's the science in that? If, if one of the number one warnings about antidepressants is that you could become suicidal, what is antidepressant about that? Right, yes. right, right, right. It just logically doesn't cohere. Right. And the thing is, is that these, and Dr. Peter Bragan is probably the, the ultimate authority on these things. I was at a conference a few years ago where he was a keynote, and Dr. Bragan says, look, these psychotropics are neurotoxins that are in, that are specifically and intentionally compounded to attack the brain and tell it to stop doing what it's created to do. So you're not helping the person. You, you talked about medicating the symptoms, and that's all we're doing. We're, we're going to medicate the symptoms. We're going to attack the brain and say, stop doing this. The problem is, because of homeostasis, the built-in balance thing that our bodies and our brains and the universe by God's creation, it always seeks, the brain fights back. Stop poisoning me. That's right. why they have to adjust medications, medication levels, all that stuff, because the brain doesn't want to be poisoned. And how interesting that it shuts down neurotoxins when one of the first things that you, or it's a neurotoxin, excuse me, because one of the first things you mentioned about not being able to discern soul or that the world not thinking we have souls is what they can measure is our neuropathways. Neuro right. So we can see very clearly that these drugs that are supposed to address what we're calling soul issues are in instead attacking neural pathway processing. So we're, we're killing the soul and the body at the same time, in essence. Yeah. yeah, right. I remember sitting down with a gal several years ago and in an 11-month period, she'd lost three loved ones who were very, very close to her, right? Her doctor said, well, I think you're clinically depressed and prescribed an antidepressant. Of I, course I, well, I, said, yes. I said, hang on a second. You're not depressed. You're grieving, grieving. in your yes. soul. Yes. Okay? No. We're supposed to grieve. I said, yeah. think about this. Not just one, not two, but three. 
deaths. Do you know that death is the most unnatural invasion of God's creation? That when we push back against it and say, this should not be, we're in agreement with God. God says, this, I, this was not the original design. Mm -hmm. You guys broke this, and I'm providing remedy for it. But yes, this is the most unnatural invasion of my creation. Yes, it will make you sad. It's supposed to make you sad. So you're not clinically depressed. You're deeply sad. You need mm -hmm. to grieve. But if you shut the brain down, the person can't grieve. And grief is a gift that helps us process through life, loss, and adjust to life now in light of this loss as part of the whole story. Right. Grief is a gift. You don't shut that process down. Why do you right. think we're so obsessed with shutting our emotions off? I know a woman who, when she goes to funerals, she cries and didn't want to cry at funerals anymore. So tried to go to a hypnotist to stop herself from grieving. Why would you not cry because somebody's dead? That's a sad, the saddest thing. That but I think happen. that's exactly what you're saying too. She used a hypnotist, but we have people that feel such depression that they're, or, or any emotion or any extreme and feel like we're not supposed to process this. Why do you think we're obsessed with not feeling? Is it just because we've gotten so used to not knowing how to handle it? Well, part of it, part of it is the pharmaceutical company, this idea of what's your pain level on the zero. Right, pain. right. Why would that even be a question? Can you function? To this idea that we're supposed to have a painless life is not biblical. It's not real life, right? And the fact that life is supposed to be easy isn't a biblical or real life answer either. Right. Right. The thing is, is that bad things happen. We're supposed to feel bad. We're not supposed to be stress-free, pain-free. We're not supposed to be 100% comfort. Right. Life is, that's not real life. Right. But part of it is too, is I'm entitled to not have to feel these things. The problem with that is, and people, I know so many people that said, I hate the, what these drugs do to me. Exactly. You hate what they do to you. Right. Right. You know that the soul is, <laughs> see, even that, they know that their soul, who they are as a human being is being impacted because I'm just not myself. They use that language all the time. I know people are listening to us that have been through that. Yes, or I feel numb, or yes. yeah, or I know someone who um, they were older and they lost their adult child, and so they decided to go on antidepressants. And every time they went off, they just the grief would hit mm. them. Oh, I can't handle the grief. I have to go. I need this thing, but I don't feel like myself. I don't feel the rest of life. Yes, you got to decide. Yeah. yeah, it's cutting off every emotion when they just wanted to cut off the sadness. Exactly. Well, and that's what we talk about, too, is that we have to understand that emotions are like a microwave. They're on or off. Mm -hmm. Not like a stove where you get different burners and you get different combinations all on, all off. Right, right. But a microwave is on or off, right? Right. So even if you put it on a defrost, it turns on, turns off, turns on, turns off. So emotions are ganged together. So we say, I don't want to feel this. We're saying, I don't want to feel. Right. But that's not real life. Right. We're, we're created with emotions. Emotions are what bring flavor to life. At a counselee I sat down with yesterday, he says, why do we have these emotions? I said, because life would be nothing but shades of gray and styrofoam mm -hmm. and water. <laughs> I mean, th that would be life. Yes. Right. right? Is, does that sound fun? No, it's not. It's not joy. There's no joyfulness. Right. Think about all the vibrant colors and the sounds and the textures and the flavors of everything. Well, we're created with emotion because that brings texture and color and flavor to life as well. Right. Right. So that's what we need to do. We say, you know, right, the emotions that I mean, I, that the, there are legitimate emotions that go with the things I've experienced. I need someone to help me walk through those. Mm -hmm. 
I need someone to help me carry those. I need someone to, to help me take the sadness I feel and bring comfort. We don't need relief. We need comfort. Think about this. A little kid doesn't want pain relief. They want to crawl on mom's mm-hmm. lap. Yep. They want comfort. See, we intuitively know that's what we need. So true. They want a hug. They want a yes. hug. Yes. And they want to just be seen and heard. I've actually prescribed <laughs> hugs for, 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 for counselees. I actually have. There's yes. even something about how a hug based on the length of a hug. Mm-hmm. I don't have the details off the top of my head. You might um, <laughs> about what it can do for you, right? Because the touch or something with the, I'm sure with the brain and the heart and. Well, just what happens to the body itself. Because right. The skin is the largest organ in the human body. Right. Right. It's always on. It's always open. Right. So that touch. But so when you have, when you have contact with the different parts of the body, the, the skin, so the whole organ is communicating, right? Well, then you've got everything underneath it that then is being impacted by that. And then you have processes that take place in the brain, right? Yeah, right. there are chemical processes, but there's also neural pathways that are connecting and can communicate. Right. Right. At four seconds, you the body will start to relax. By the time you get to 10 seconds, you can actually... They can actually track with, with what they call fMRI. So they can actually watch brain activity where regions of the brain that are associated with anger or anxiety or those kinds of things calm down into blues and greens. And the areas that deal with joy and elation become rear reds and oranges. The energy level in the brain changes in the regions of the brain just from a hug child goes to my daughter's school and she has a friend that was diagnosed with cancer and we were talking and she was getting very emotional and I hugged her and I was literally holding on and I was, I wasn't counting. I was trying to be very present in the moment, but I was thinking about that as I was holding her because she's in the middle of grief. And I think we've lost a lot of, I'm, I'm not one to, I don't want to blame everything on social media or any of the world events that have happened of late, but I do feel like community gets lost in our shuffle and our, and our lives. And I was thinking a little bit about this um, desire to have this life that's easy. And and I think we are really easy and, and good, excuse me, at comparing ourselves to what we do see people project on social media and the lives that they show us. And it looks so easy. Other people, you know, as a mother myself with little kids, I feel like I see these mom's homes that are just so organized and everything's so efficient and they're just so happy. And I'm like looking at my mess thinking, man, it should be easier. It should be easier. Most dangerous word in the English mm-hmm. language is good. And I should be happy all the time. Yes, I know we don't. One question, you know, we're talking a lot about medication. In your opinion, do you ever feel that there is an appropriate time for medication and are we in more severe circumstances? I think once in a while to interrupt and break a pattern. I mean, like in an emergency situation type of thing. But you have to take a look at most of these medications are not meant to be prescribed longer than 30 days. You've got people that have been on the same medications for years. Before someone goes on a medication, I recommend that they ask to see the drug insert. Okay, and every one of them have a black box warning. This is the most dangerous part of this drug. Don't pay attention to anything else. Pay attention to the black box warning. And Dr. Bregan is actually, his research is one of the reasons why a lot of those things, especially antidepressants, even have them required by the FDA. Right, so it's, but again, they don't tell you these things because you won't want to take them. Right. Or some people will, but usually, well, you, you I think you need medication. Somebody else is going to influence 
that decision. And it's going to make life easier, easier, easier for somebody. That's what Ritalin does. Mm-hmm. There's a study out of New York several years ago where they had two groups of children diagnosed ADD, ADHD. One group of children, they medicated with Ritalin. The other group of children, they did not medicate. 12 years later, there were no measurable differences socially, economically, educationally, relationally, anything in the two groups of children. The Ritalin was so that the, the, the care providers had less stress in their life. It did not benefit the children whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So you want to take a look at scientific data, right? So that study's been replicated, I think, about 14 or 15 times. I have to look. But also, I think taking medication or medicating children, it's all about that instant relief, right? That mm, kind of that lie, that lie of instant gratification. This this thing will make me feel better. This will help me act better, where it's not really diving into the true healing that you need to really transform, to yeah. transform your well, life, pragmatic. right? Yeah. The, the, the dynamic that we don't really talk about is we lost paradise that's recorded in genesis chapter three right we were created for paradise and those who are his will one day be in paradise with him for the rest of eternity well we're in we're stuck in that horrible can be horrible place in between right well we want to live paradisically that's why we always seek to improve that's why we seek to feel better because in our souls we know what paradise is right what it's supposed to feel like and that's (laughs) what we're trying to produce here sorry kids you can't get there from here. Right. You cannot get there from here. You, life, all the way back in Genesis 3, says, look, kids, because, because you intentionally broke this, from this point forward, life is going to be a whole lot of very, very difficult work and excruciatingly painful at times. We say, oh, no, no. I'm entitled to a toilless and painless life. Right? No, I'm not. I'm not. Right. Life is going to be hard sometimes. What I need is somebody to help me get through the hard times of life, right. that, not remove them, because the, the times are still hard. You have to be able to get through them to the other side. Yes. Right. And exactly. Everybody, everybody listening to us has set a goal and pushed themselves through difficult times and wanting to quit and maybe pain or whatever to get and achieve that goal the ultimate best goal for us to achieve is to become the person that God created us to be in the first place. And that's what soul care helps people connect with. And let's, um, that might be a good way to start tying everything together for this, this first episode, but we do have listeners that are Christians who have been hurt by the church Yes, and be that the church's counselors, pastors of churches that were helping them deal with issues. Well-intentioned people that don't know enough to keep their mouths shut. Sure. I mean, other, <laughs> let's just say, let's say other Christians, right? And so, you know, definitely want to put you on the spot a little with this question, because why, why then should these people who have been hurt by the church before and hurt by people who have said, you know, let's look at this from God's perspective, why... What would you say to those audience that are listening and maybe their interest is peaked, but there's too much PTSD of what happened from people from the church before? Or you don't call it PTSD. We'll get to that on another okay. episode. <laughs> that wounding is very real and it's very legitimate um, because the people that have maltreated them and harmed them 
even if they were good willed intention good intention people did not know how to properly address biblically and not just when we're saying biblically we're not just taking, saying from the bible we're also talking about with a heart and character of christ that's what right. biblical means mm-hmm. too so there's a lot of people who say they're christian to be christian means to reflect the character of christ right, right. and i tell people if you really want to understand the nature and character of god through, in christ get dane ortland's book gentle and lowly our counseling team is now required to be familiar with it and use it as a counseling tool. That's how powerful it is. Um, it's just in a transformational for my life mm-hmm. too. Yeah. But that's perfect. I mean, I think that is so well said that you can't trust the authority of someone acting, saying that they're acting on the behalf of God. If their actions don't align with the true nature and character of God. Exactly. A lot of people have yeah. been bullied. Look, this is what it says. This is what you have to do, Yes. but that's not God's heart. Even, we think, see in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not demand its own way. And Jesus manifests that. He mm-hmm. says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He doesn't grab us by the front of the shirt and shake us and say, you better obey me. Mm-hmm. Even though he has a right to do that as a sovereign of the universe, he doesn't do that. That's not his heart. So a counselor who's taking that approach, that's not Christ-like. There's a tenderness, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and that's what you a need. Kindness. Like, a kindness, yeah. A gentleness. Yes. And probably a good measure or filter for us to put in front of anyone that we're going to have a relationship with, right? Like friendship, trusting someone we want to, we would want to have that same kind of. I pray at the beginning of every counseling session and I say, Lord, help this person to feel safe, heard, understood, and accepted. And let this be a blessing and encouragement to them. So they leave here feeling much better than when they got here. I pray that all the time. And I'm I'm praying that the whole time I'm talking to this person. How can I communicate God's love and truth to this person? Even if they're 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 doing all kinds of evil things, how do I communicate God's truth to this person in a way they realize God isn't condemning you for this, but he really is saying you really need to knock this off. Because your life cannot mm-hmm. be better as long as you're living like this. He's not he's not demanding and he's not grabbing you by the hair and dragging you down the hallway like your dad did, right? Yeah. Or like some counselors have done. Or it's even like when you think about when the um, God's laws presented in a kind and tender way that um, these laws that he has is to make our life easier. It's when we go outside of them that it's when it becomes harder for us. Yeah. It's like we're seeking to be self-sovereign. It's like the lines on on the road. If yeah. you cross those lines, bad <laughs> stuff is going to happen, right? Exactly. Those aren't walls. Yes. There are lines on the pavement. You get to decide if you're staying inside the lines or not. Right. That's that's what God does. He says, look, this is where you're safe. This is where life makes sense. Right. If you go across these lines, bad stuff is going to happen. Right. And why are we surprised when it does? Right. Because we don't want it to. We think, oh, I'm the exception. Nope. Nobody's that special. Right. And I think finding someone who is having has that prayer in mind is showing God's heart. And well, that's yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, Warren, thank you. This was a very um there's a lot of content covered in this first episode. So if you're listening and you're feeling slightly overwhelmed because we kind of shook your paradigm with a lot of stuff, then please stay tuned because our plan is to unpackage a lot more of this in in greater greater detail and greater context. However, we do want to thank you for joining us today. And we pray that you feel a sense of hope after listening, that our words can offer insight into what true soul care is meant to be. 
Our mission is to speak the truth, to do it in love, and to surrender the outcomes. Thank you for listening to the Soul Care Podcast. We pray this has been a blessing and an encouragement for you. We want to leave you with four thoughts to reflect on. Is your identity in Christ or something else? How well do you understand the true nature and character of God? How much confidence do you have in who God is? And how does all of this impact what you are struggling with today? If you desire to learn more, check out the show notes for more resources and information. And please don't forget, you matter to God.